I'm coming in hot. Welcome to Living Off the Land, the All Things Cleveland podcast, with your hosts, Jordan, Jimmy, and Dan. Follow us on social media at the LOTL podcast. Yeah, coming in hot. Coming in hot. Just like the fajita. Like the fajita. I write what I live. Write what I live. My life in the speaker. I'm nice with the flow. Nice with the Just like the demeanor. I'm feeding my fam. Alright, what is up, Cleveland? Welcome back, welcome in, LOTL, Emergency Episode Edition. Uh, thanks for listening on a huge, historic night in uh, Cleveland Browns history. The Browns have just traded for Odell Beckham Jr. That's right, OBJ is headed to the CLE, everybody. Uh, I am Dan uh Coming to you emergency style without Jordan, without Jimmy, but uh, I have our former co-host Paul with me. Paul, what's up? Hello, everybody. Uh, in the words of Bill Pullman from Independence Day, we may need to upgrade to DefCon Three. <laughs> I'm sorry. Today's just been a day of Independence Day references. Yeah, I think it's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them how to bring those sons of bitches down. General, contact NORAD. Tell them we need to upgrade to DEFCON 3. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, if, uh, if you don't understand the reference, um, I have no hope for you because it's from one of the greatest movies ever. And it's entirely appropriate because I think this is on par with an alien invasion. That's you right. Know, it's just... Uh, no, th- this, is, this is shocking. This yeah. is a trade that... They always say that the, you know where there's smoke, there's fire, but you just never know exactly where. And John Dorsey plays everything so close to the vest. So all these rumors are swirling around. There's some traction to it. You just don't know. And then lo and behold, before tomorrow, I was I was expecting you know maybe to hear something tomorrow after work, but didn't even take that long. No. No, it's crazy. And before we before we dive in and get into uh, our thoughts on it, let me just go through exactly what the Browns gave up for uh, OBJ. Uh, Browns get Odell Beckham Jr. and they send to the Giants their first round pick this year, which is number seventeen. Their second third round pick uh, in the 2019 draft, and safety Jabril Peppers. Which, when I saw the um, the actual official like word of who we traded that was a little surprising to me um i you know we, we had heard these rumors for the last couple weeks they got real hot last week um with everybody on twitter saying all oh, the browns are up to something huge and you know nobody would say what it was but you know people can infer from uh you know wink wink and you know social media stuff that that it was something big and uh odell beckham jr is that was the player that made the most sense as far as a trade but the player that i was hearing uh, to be included in the deal was uh, Emmanuel Agba. Mm. I thought Agba would be the player to be included. Uh, now, it, that was before the Browns traded Kevin Zeitler for Olivier Vernon because that, to me, that wouldn't really make sense from a Giants perspective to trade the Browns their best pass rusher and get back in a separate trade, just like a marginal pass rusher who hasn't really proved anything yet right um so i was kind of thrown for a loop there uh wasn't sure exactly what was what was going on but it it was crazy you know my brother was over we were just watching tv and then uh i looked down and my bleacher report 
uh, app fired up on my phone, and it said Odell Beckham to the Browns, like official. And I was like, no, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I freaked out. I mean, Paul can attest. I almost jumped off the couch. <laughs> I mean, in hearing the rumors, and once I started hearing more and more um, about the possibility of trading Kevin Zeitler, I honestly thought that was going to be the trade for Odell Beckham. Because Zeitler is, now granted, albeit high, you know, very highly paid, the highest paid guard in the NFL, I think. Um Oh, okay. Now Dan's showing me some more potential that's, exciting news. We'll, yeah, that's we're not we're not going to comment. We're, on that yeah, yet. we're not going to talk about that. But um, but I thought that would be the move to go because whichever route the Giants go, they have a star running back. They're they got to make some kind of move at quarterback for the future. So the way you invest in that is solidifying your offensive line. I thought that would have been the move. So seeing Zeitler trade to the Giants, thought that after that was going to be, and the Browns got Odell Beckham, in which case they didn't. Right. So, to see this trade take place entirely separate from that uh, was surprising, because with you know trading Zeitler, easily one of the most valuable assets that the Browns had as far as trade, he wasn't someone that John Dorsey signed, so and he drafted Austin Corbett, so for Dorsey that's an asset that he's willing to move. Right. Figured well, that would just make sense. You trade offensive talent like that, and you know the Browns get a receiver and probably you know have to trade another draft pick. So, yeah. j- just the fact that those two trades took place completely apart from each yeah. other was really surprising. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because last week, uh, like I mentioned a couple minutes ago, we uh, or I saw you know I saw all I don't know how much uh, how much you're on Twitter anymore, Paul, but eh. um, but I'm. Uh, <laughs> I saw it all last week, you know, people were just dropping these, like, hints, like, you know, and, and I'm talking not just local um, local sports media types. I'm talking, like, national. We're talking, like, hey, the Browns are working on something huge. Nobody would divulge, like, what it was or, like, even, you know, a glimpse of what it could be. Right. But something huge. I think that the Browns were working on uh, trying to make this one – giant deal one giant trade where the Browns would get Vernon and Beckham and the Browns would set back a combination of Zeitler Peppers maybe somebody else and a collection of picks Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just my opinion and I'm not going off of anything I think originally the Giants got cold feet on trading Beckham and uh, they're like hey to the Browns hey show some good faith we need a guard you need a pass rusher let's see if we can work something out and I think that that original trade, the Browns saying, you know what, okay, we'll do this, and then you know, saying it without saying it, said, well, we'll, re- we'll revisit Beckham later. Right. And so they agreed to the trade, and that kind of, I think maybe that kind of showed the Giants that hey, you know, not that John Dorsey's some slime ball is just trying to pull one over on anybody, but like acting in good faith, like mm-hmm. good business, you know, between two teams, and I think that might have been the the start of the talks between the Browns, the Giants, and uh, Beckham. No, that would actually make a lot of sense. Um, and <coughs> to my understanding, Dorsey and Gettleman have a good relationship. I mean, everybody in the league knows each other, but obviously you're going to be closer or have better relationships with other yeah, people. Yeah. And now part of me is curious, too, if you know the whole Odell Beckham trade, regardless whether it's for the Browns or someone else, right. that's been in the talks for a long time. 
this probably doesn't have as much merit to it. I think your your theory is actually pretty pretty reasonable. Um, for a big trade like that with just that many assets moving, I could see where it's like, you know, we're not sure. Tell you what, how about we complete part of this and then we'll go from there. Part of me does wonder, though, if the Giants were... Because clearly the asking price for Odell was high. Part of me does wonder if the Giants were like, look, you know, we... You know, we would be able to work with this trade, but honestly, I mean, there's other teams out there that need a star wide receiver, you know. Um, right. And as your job as a GM is to get the most you can, r- regardless of who you're trying to trade, you know, what's going to help your team the best. I don't know if that was the case with Gettleman and that he was trying to see maybe shop around just a little bit more, see if there was any other additional offers for Odell for maybe a higher first-round pick, maybe for a different asset. Yeah. Um, probably not. I'm curious, though. But regardless, um, the way it shaped up, I, th- I think your theory of a you know mega trade just kind of having to be broken down yeah. into manageable pieces, and as you said, signs of good faith. Right. I, th- I think that holds water. And I mean, hey, at the end of the day, regardless of what happened, it happened. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we can get in. Obviously, we have already. We've started. But we can kind of get into, like, uh, you know, our overall thoughts uh, about the trade. But... Uh, you know, I, I kind of said my first initial reaction was to jump up off the couch. Like, what what was yours? What was your when when you heard me say the Browns just traded for OBJ? Like, wh- like what did I forget? I, I don't even remember what you said. Like, like I was <laughs> so like I probably said something once. Like PG version. Oh crap! Yeah. <laughs> um, oh crap! Oh crap! <laughs> Independence Day. Yep. Another um. One. But no. Now I will say. Since there was so much, so many rumors going around, or this this rumor in particular going around, yeah, that there was always in the back of your mind that slight possibility. Now, once the Browns traded Zeitler, I think for a lot of people they figured, well, that trade's done. There's nothing else you're going to be able to trade with the Giants apart from an arm and a leg to get Odell Beckham. Right. So, the fact that there was this rumors just swimming around for so long. It did take away a little bit of the shock value, but that's not to say that it's still not a amazing trade and that it, it still just isn't surprising. Because I, I think for a lot of people, they thought it was done. I Driving home, people were talking about the Odell thing like, hey, I don't know, maybe it could still happen, you right. know. But it, it was it was really on the back burner for a lot of people, I think, because, yeah. okay, well, the Browns traded for um, Vernon. And then the Browns got Richardson. It's like, okay, Dorsey's making these... He's making solid moves, you know. Nothing that's going to blow anyone's yeah, mind. nothing earth-shattering. Right. And so, you know, with the... Um, I'll shoot. Like, what, the legal tampering period started earlier, but then tomorrow's... Yesterday. But tomorrow's, like, the official... Tomorrow's, tomorrow's when guys can actually put pen to paper. Right. So the thought was, like, well... And there's already been a lot of talks about who's signing with who... People moving like C.J. Mosley and Weddle and yeah. Collins and things like that. So, I think for the most part, people are like, all right. And if, if the Browns were going to get Odell, they would have gotten him. Right. So, it's <laughs> a trade like that. For the most part, you see it with a lot of teams. There's usually that one signing or that one trade, especially if they're a really bad team. Right. They get that one free agent for a big contract, or they make that one big trade for that one player. So for the Browns to have this type of deal, which is a blockbuster deal, this right. is huge, on top of the previous two moves that John Dorsey made, right? 
that's ridiculous. And and, uh, and I'll just I'll just say and and uh, we'll you know we'll talk about it later because we're kind of in a Nodell Beckham uh, mode right now. But the Browns are in serious discussions to sign Earl Thomas, who Pro Bowl safety. Now he 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 is coming off of a pretty big injury, right? Uh, I don't remember what he had. It was something. It wasn't a knee. I don't think it was an Achilles. I don't remember. No, but that's anyway, a good question. Uh, they're working on that, and he would essentially replace uh, Jabril Peppers. Um, so you'd swap out Peppers for who you traded to the Giants for Beckham, plus the picks for Earl Thomas, which I, I mean, you know, like I said, we'll talk about that towards mm-hmm. the end of the episode. But uh, that's 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 just that's just insane. Right. Oh, just real quick. It was a leg fracture. Oh, so he broke his leg. Okay. For Thomas, yeah. Okay. And then he proceeded to flip off Seattle as he got carted off. I rem- that I remember. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Cause um, he, yeah, because he was uh, – him and the Seahawks, he was um, trying to get a new contract from the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, they played hardball with him, and, and he eventually just decided to play out the contract and got hurt. Yep. So he was not happy with the team. Um, no. Yeah, this is uh, – Wow, I crazy. It's, crazy. It feels surreal, and yeah. it's like, um, you know, I, I, it's like if we do sign Earl Thomas, it's almost to the point now where, do you remember when the Eagles got Michael Vick, and they had that one off season <laughs> yep. where they just, it was signed Michael everybody. Vick. They got Namdi Asamoah. Yep. Was it Javon Kearse that they brought in? I don't remember. I'm trying to remember if he was I don't remember on. all the players, but yeah, they, they went nuts. And, uh, you know, they didn't end up winning the Super Bowl or going deep in the playoffs or anything, but. Right. Um, you know, what, I mean, when was the first time that the Browns could boast a move like this and boast swing, like, for lack of a better term, I'm not going to use, you know, a uh, derogatory body part, but, you know, swing their stick around, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, in, in like, serious like, manner. Th- this is, like,. You're gonna have to come through us now. Like this is, mm-hmm. like, it's not just, and it's not just the AFC North. Like, no. the Browns, and this is this sounds really ridiculous for me to say, but I truly believe it. The Browns are trying to win the Super Bowl this year. Well, you, I mean, it's clear that just in seeing how John Dorsey works, seeing the type of culture that's been built through some of the coaches that you know were there through people like Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, um, these are guys that. To them, success is success. Right. There's no grades of it for them. Because, for, quite frankly, me, for sorry. us as Cleveland fans and just as a city for football, yeah. since the 2007 season, 7, 8, and 1. Right. Or when they went 7 and 9 in 2014 or 13? 14. 14. Yeah. Um, that, that for was, us. Yeah, that was the Hoyer year. Right. That for us was like, okay, it's a step in the right direction. Right. You know that this past season, after hitting the halfway point, at two five and one, right? Dorsey was could not be happy. Yeah, he worked like heck to put together the roster that he had, mm-hmm. and drafted the people that he drafted. Yeah. And there was no doubt in my mind he believed like I'm putting together a team to go into the playoffs this year. I'm not just trying to make the team better. I'm trying to contend. That's right. my job. That's the right. point. And you hear it all the time when people tried to thank him before the Browns even took a snap last year. He's like, "Thank me when we win." Right. And after this season, he's like, "Well, what have we done? We won seven right. games last year." 
And I think, and I think when you know, because because obviously they're gonna have a they're gonna have a press conference for Beckham. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. And Dorsey will probably be there, and I think he's going to have the same tone. Mm-hmm. You know, the fans are freaking out, deservedly so. And you know, we're fans. Fan is short for fanatic. Mm-hmm. But Dorsey, I think, is very right and is very methodical in his approach when he comes out in press conferences and says, you know, we haven't done anything yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie Kitchens is, is like that too. Yep. Freddie Kitchens is taught, you know, he, he's, he's saying the right things and saying, you know, we want to win a Super Bowl here. But at the same time, he's saying, he said, uh, when, when, you know, he's walking around Cleveland and everybody's, uh, going nuts and thanking him, you know, thank, he, you know, he said, thank me for what? We went seven, eight and one. That's not good. Mm-hmm. And the problem the Browns had in the past, granted, tell me one Browns coach that didn't want to win a Super Bowl. Right, you know, they all tell, did. tell me any coach. Hugh anywhere. Jackson, the worst coach in NFL history, came in saying, you know, I want to give the dog pound a fist bump, and we're striving for greatness, and right. we're chasing greatness, and you know, we're going to rule the North, and all this n- nonsense. But the problem was for, and it's shown ever since the Browns came back, with the exception of just you know really brief glimpses here and there of what could be. The Browns have never had a clear vision when it came to their front office and to their coaching staff. Right. Everyone wants to win a Super Bowl. That's the goal. That's right. <laughs> as Herm Edwards would say, you play to win the game. Oh yeah. That's everyone's goal. But when you look at just past years, past regimes, past coaches, okay, yeah, you wanted to win. Well, how are you going to get there? I bet you that they could not tell you how they were going to get there. All they knew is that they wanted to get there. And they were going to try to figure it out by the seat of their pants. And that hasn't worked. Dorsey is clearly someone who's very methodical in his approach to everything when it comes to scouting, when it comes to signing free agents, when it comes to trades. The Zeitler-Vernon trade was brilliant. Yep. And it's just... And the same with this, too. I know that, yeah, he's... This is someone he clearly wanted. He wanted Hotel Peckham, and he's he's... Got to be happy that he got it, but at the same time, like you said, his approach to it is honestly going to probably be the same because how many times do teams get that guy and they think this is it, this is going to push us over the edge? Yep. Whether it's signing that backup quarterback to some big fat contract, it's like, hey, freak out when we won. Right. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. You can really celebrate then, or we can celebrate when we win because as fans, we have that luxury. We can get excited for right the organization in a way that they can't because. Quite frankly, they still have a lot to prove, and they still have a lot to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, you know, you talked about the methodical approach of John Dorsey, and and uh, just, just going through a timeline here. You know, Dorsey was hired. The number one thing that he started immediately thinking about, even before he got the Browns job, he was thinking of he was thinking of the quarterback, mm-hmm. and Baker Mayfield was his guy. Yep. And you know, lucky enough for him, he was gifted the number one pick, so. He could take whoever he wanted. Right. You know, if he wanted Baker Mayfield and he had a, you know, the Browns didn't have the number one pick, he could always trade up and whatever, but he didn't have to do that. So he got Baker Mayfield. That starts everything. Mm-hmm. Players want to come play for, especially talent on the offensive side of the ball, want to come play for a team that has a franchise quarterback in place. Yep. So that started every. If the Browns don't draft, draft Baker Mayfield, I, I, I don't think. Odell Beckham Jr. is here. No, no. A lot of things don't happen. And part of that being that, and it's so funny, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but 
ever since the Browns took Tim Couch with the first overall pick when they first came back. Yeah. Quarterback, while everyone said Cleveland needed one, quarterback was never their priority. Yeah. Any right. qu- any quarterback that they drafted three times, they drafted a quarterback, and with the twenty second pick, I think. I think all three times it was a twenty second pick. Yeah. Brady Quinn. Brady. Brandon Whedon. Mm-hmm. And, and Johnny Manziel. Yeah. Now none of them were drafted with the intent of. This is our guy. Yep. They're drafted either on the whim of the owner or they're drafted by, hey, you've got to make a splash, poor judge, whatever you want to call it. Right. But there was, you could tell there was never a plan in place. And with this, it's the number one pick. Yeah. John Dorsey has a very good track record with players that he drafts, that he signs. So when he's taking Baker Mayfield with the number one pick, mm-hmm. like you said, you know that's his guy. That's who he wanted. Yeah. And that's who he's going to use to build the team mm-hmm. and build the team around. As opposed to someone like, hey, Brady Quinn's dropping. Yep. Let's get nuts and trade next year's first round pick to get him. Or yep. Johnny Manziel. Right. He's dropping. Well, we got you got to make a splash. Okay, well, let's go get Johnny Manziel. Yep. Which, by the way, just real quick, do you think that this trade rivals the uh, – Sensation when the Browns drafted Johnny Manziel. <laughs> now, I, I mean, disregarding hindsight, but I mean the the feel. So, so when, what Paul's talking about for those who <laughs> don't know, when the Browns uh, traded up and took Johnny Manziel, uh, I started running around the house screaming and was freaking out. This is not my proudest moment looking back in hindsight, but it's none of our proudest moments. <laughs> but but I, I I I thought the Browns had found their quarterback. I thought I thought that was the guy. I didn't know he was a, you know, drug addict and alcoholic and all that stuff and that was going to derail his career a year after it starts. I was excited too. I it, so I'm just curious how people are reacting um I, I think I think it's it's a little more tempered now than that because I because I have the the scar tissue in me from that. <laughs> We're learning yeah. slowly but so, surely. <laughs> so I wasn't running around our, our apartment and uh, screaming and you know freaking out and you know all that That's stuff. True. You know I was I, I was on the couch. I was you know I kept saying oh my god I can't believe mm-hmm. this happened. When I was texting like forty different people. Yeah. And I I'm pretty sure I've I've sent out a hundred tweets tonight. But you know it's more of like a controlled <laughs> excitement. Uh, but this is the first. This is the closest that I've ever felt the Browns to be an actual contender. Like in 2007, you know, it was a magical ride, 10 and 6. We didn't but oh, yeah. we didn't even make the playoffs. No. And Derek Anderson was good, but you know, there's always there was always that feeling in, like okay, is this is this going to last? Like is this a was this a fluke? Like I don't feel that way about Baker. I don't no. feel that way about uh John Dorsey, I don't feel that way. And I, and Freddie Kitchens has never been a head coach at any level, but I don't even feel that way about Freddie Kitchens. No, and again, a lot of that just comes... I don't think enough can be said just about a person's temperament and their demeanor. And when you look at someone like Freddie Kitchens, if I had to make a likening to him, it would be a slow cooker. <laughs> in that he's been in the league for a long time, and he's garnered nothing but respect from his peers. Right. But he's never been that flashy name or a flashy signing. But everywhere he went, he, he made an impact of some kind. He did. It just wasn't the sense of, oh, Freddie Kitchens is going to be the next head coach. Right. Until this past year when he started making calls, started throwing in formations that people hadn't used in years. Yeah. We were and, running the wishbone. Right. I thought, And people thought he was joking. He's like, no, I'm serious. Yeah. 
And then when it's like um, against, uh, oh shoot, it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, against the Panthers, like, yeah, we're going to go deep. Yeah, they did. Yeah, right. On the first play. But just, you know, building up to that moment, whereas with other situations, and it's funny that you mentioned like the 07 leading into 08 Browns, because that's actually the first team that came to my mind with this, um, just with what we're going through now. Because when you look at what's happened with, well, you look at 2007. Let's go back to 2007. Mm -hmm. The Browns go 10 and 6. Like you say, they don't make the playoffs. Right. Um, it started with a quarterback change at the beginning of the year after right. they got thrashed by Pittsburgh. Charlie Fry gets shipped to Seattle, and Derek Anderson gets promoted to the starter, and they win in a shootout against Cincinnati. And, you know, you go through the ups and the downs, but you finish the season 10-6, and six, and you're thinking, we've done it. Right. We've, we've finally done it. We've gotten to a point where, yeah, we're, we're going to be good. We're going to contend. You've got Braylon Edwards. You've got Kellen Winslow. Jamal Luce was coming off a solid year. Derek Anderson, albeit Pro Bowl alternate, he did make the Pro Bowl. True. So leading into the next season, and you watch the moves that Phil Savage made. Now, he did make the trade for Quinn in the 2007 draft. So that happened before 08. Yep. But then in 08, he went ahead and made trades for Corey Williams with their second round pick and with Sean Rogers with their third round pick. So he was trying to take advantage of the moment. He was trying to make moves quickly to ensure that the Browns were going to in fact be back into winning, you know, winning ways and hopefully this time around going to the playoffs. Now, hindsight's always 2020. The trades didn't pan out. Yep. You're not drafting to the fourth round. You get nothing in the draft. Brady Quinn doesn't pan out. Derek yep. Anderson, you know, his um, his play declines. And that's the difference between someone like Anderson and Mayfield. With Mayfield, you could actually see progression. Yep. And even within games, with games like Houston or against Baltimore, you could see where, yeah, he made mistakes. You know, he made rookie mistakes. He made poor decisions. But he also would progress and adapt and... You, so you saw him change. You saw him grow as the season went. So then you come to this past season where the Browns go 7-8-1, which for us was a huge step from, well, anything's a huge step from 0-16. And, and then you look at the moves that Dorsey's making. And Dorsey, he is making moves, kind of like what Savage was doing, but on a different plane. One being people legitimately do want to come to Cleveland, not just on a fluke, but because they have a quarterback. Right. And the players that he's bringing in, you can tell it's methodical why he's bringing them in. When you get a guy like Vernon, who is he is a highly graded pass rusher. He's not your he's not your alpha pass rusher, but he is highly graded. And you look at a guy like Richardson, who's a very solid um, starting defensive tackle who fits their scheme. You see him bringing in guys to complement what's already here, and moving assets like Zeitler that Dorsey himself didn't personally bring in. Mm -hmm and making room for people that he did bring in. Right. And then with a move like this for Odell Beckham, he already brought in two starting defensive linemen. Yep. Suddenly that number 17 pick isn't as needed as thought. And actually I thought it was interesting that both you and I shared a similar feeling as we were hearing these moves being made, especially after today, after they got Richardson. I'm thinking, well, clearly Dorsey's signing these guys to make room for something. Right, right, and right. The only thing that is of value that they have is that first-round pick at number 17. Yeah. With two starting defensive linemen that you just brought in at defensive end, defensive tackle, and with you 
clearly having a plan to move Corbett into guard. Yep. The front seven isn't your priority on defense, and your front five and offense isn't a priority either. Yeah. So you've got to be saving those assets for something else. Yeah. And that's what happened. And that's what happened. So, you know, 10 years removed from the 07-08 transition to this transition, it's it's just completely different. Yeah. So, uh, just real quick, I want to go through uh, the Browns' current starting offense. So, we have the uh, same offensive line as last year, minus Kevin Zeitler, but Mm -hmm. John Dorsey took uh, Austin Corbett with the first pick in the second round last year, so he'll slide in at right guard, hopefully... You know, Zeitler's a really good player, so hopefully, you know, Corbett can live up to uh, live up to that billing. And then, so let's go through it. So you have Baker Mayfield. Check. Check. <laughs> At running back, Nick Chubb. Check. Who, uh, yeah, who had a great rookie year last year. Um, despite not starting despite, the first six games, six, yeah. seven games. Yeah. Uh, Duke Johnson. Who, as of now, is still back. You know, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, and then, whenever he gets, you know, whenever we find out about his suspension, and whenever he comes back, you have Kareem Hunt in the backfield. So the Browns have a legit three-headed monster back there. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Njoku, who continues to grow and develop at tight end, uh, incredible athlete at the tight end position. Although maybe a little poor judgment when deciding trying to leap into the. Enzo. Yeah, well, luckily <laughs> luckily he had uh, Joel Batonio, who was right there, to kind of push him. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we we released Darren Fells, which is kind of a bummer. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, tight end could be some something that the Browns look at in the draft now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got to look at the wide receiver room. Oh. I mean, oh. you know, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham Jr., Antonio Callaway, Brashard Perriman, who... Who knows? We just re-signed him today, but uh, reports are that he already wants out of his one-year, four million-dollar contract after the Browns traded for OBJ. Which I can see both sides of that, but you know we're not going to get into that today. But, Regardless, uh, uh, they tendered Richard Higgins, so hopefully Hollywood's back. Um, and then you got you got guys who are going to be fighting for like that sixth and final wide receiver spot, Damian Ratley, mm-hmm. uh, Derek Willies, who came on for us a little bit before uh, breaking his collarbone right, and was lost for the year. Uh, so that, that's the Browns. The, the Browns have a legitimate chance to have the best offense in football. Now they do. I mean, with... You know, we'll see how it all comes together schematically, but, um, and you know, the the biggest thing that I that I, that I love about this... Well, obviously, you know, Beckham's an all-world talent, Mm -hmm. but he's coming into a situation that's familiar to him. So he already has a relationship with Baker Mayfield. They're tight off the field. Uh, His best friend in the world is Jarvis Landry. Mm -hmm. They went to college together. They played together. They've stayed tight ever since. Um, Also high school. Yeah. I mean, like, Um, way back. Their wide receivers coach at LSU is the Browns' wide receivers coach, Adam Henry. I love that guy. So... (laughs) Beckham is coming into a new situation, but it's a complete, it's a totally familiar situation. That you know, there's, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's going to take some getting used to uh, playing with Baker and getting, you know, a feel for him. Mm-hmm. But that's that's stuff that you can develop in the off season and in training camp and in in the preseason. Well, and also when you when you believe in what you're going for, 
I mean, clearly, OBJ had lost faith, and I think rightfully so, yeah. in Eli Manning. There's no future with Eli Manning. No. And I think he was growing frustrated with the fact that, you know, he just signed that big contract with the Giants, and there was no succession plan at quarterback to be seen, to be known. Nope. You know, who knows uh, what's going to happen there. I mean, there's rumors that they like Dwayne Haskins in the draft, but who knows what they do. I mean, they had they had, uh, they had had uh, Saquon Barkley sit. They didn't have to – all they had to do was, you know, run up, run the card up mm-hmm. and take Sam Brad – or not Sam Bradford. What's his name? Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold. Gosh. <laughs> my my mind is. I know, I know. It's, yeah. And they took Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley won the Rookie of the Year. Not deservedly, in my opinion, but... No, but... But he won Rookie of the Year. He had a great season. But they don't have the answer at quarterback. And this goes back to what I was saying, like, with John Dorsey, the, the first order of business was to find the quarterback. Everything comes together after that. So many times the Browns have tried to build the team, and then try and find the quarterback, which yep. is what they would do when they would draft those guys at 22. Exactly. But you have to draft the quarterback first, get him on his rookie deal, and build around the quarterback. Yep. So And and rightfully so, the Browns are going for it right now because for the next three years, they have Baker Mayfield on a rookie contract. Mm-hmm. They don't have to pay a quarterback $30 million a year, which opens them up to be able to go trade for Beckham, uh, you know, sign Kareem Hunt. It's not for, not for money now, but if he has a pr- really productive year this year, mm-hmm. he'll be in line to make money. Yep. Uh, you know, sign Sheldon Richardson to a three-year $36 million contract. There's reports that they're trying to sign Earl Thomas to a three-year contract, which I'm sure will be worth at least $10 million a year. Um, I would say so, yeah. Yeah, so you have Jarvis Landry, who's on a five-year, $70 million contract. Like Having having a franchise quarterback on a rookie deal allows you to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And the, the time to strike is now because, yes, you can still be competitive with a, a quarterback on a huge contract, but it becomes a lot more difficult to do. It really does. And how many quarterbacks do we see that get locked down on – Massive contracts because quarterback is such a rare commodity, even a serviceable quarterback, that you see quarterbacks get – how many quarterbacks do you see that get paid more than Tom Brady, the winningest quarterback in the league? Right. Because teams de- desperately try to cling to what they have. Yeah. and t- Well, well the, Tom Brady, the Tom Brady Patriots is a special case because yeah. Brady, Brady takes pay cuts every year. Right. And that's the thing, though. It's just that – But that's part of his genius. Exactly, and that's the thing. Other, I'm not saying every team should be like the Patriots, but I'm just saying that you see other situations where you get like a Matt Stafford who signs a huge contract. Yeah. And apart from guys, say, like an Aaron Rodgers, who I think is worth a large contract, you get these teams that sign these quarterbacks. I mean, shoot, freaking Nick Foles is getting an $80 million contract for Jacksonville. Yeah, four, yeah like four years, $84 million. You know, right, I mean, right 50 now. $50 million guaranteed. Right. So right now, I mean, the going price for a quarterback, like even just a starting quarterback in the league, is about $20 million right. a year. Right. That's why finding one in the draft and building around him while on his rookie deal is the way to go in the NFL right now. And it also changes every single move that you make because when you, like you said, as opposed to building a team and trying to plug in a quarterback, as opposed to the other way around, which is the way it's supposed to be done, you build around a quarterback. Every move you make has that in mind. There was actually an interesting article I read about um, – the Texans when they got uh, Deshaun Watson, 
and talking about when they sign someone or they draft someone, there's an intent behind it, and more often than not, it actually ties back to how it helps Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. So when you look at a defensive player, let's say you look at a defensive lineman who's a pass rusher, like, well, that's the guy who's going to get me more sacks, right? which is going to force the opposing team to punt more and get the ball into Deshaun's hands. Right. Or if you look at a defensive back who has really good just you know ball skills, this is a guy that's going to be able to either lock down a corner or get me a couple more turnovers, yeah. which is going to, again, get the ball in the hands of my quarterback that many more times a game. Yeah. So it's just a completely different approach, much more methodical, and quite frankly, I think will prove to be a lot more effective. Yeah. And just... So so real quick, before we wind down, um, you had mentioned something about the uh, current Super Bowl odds. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what, were, what were the Steelers' Super Bowl odds? I believe the Steelers were originally, um, I think they're originally around 25? Yeah. They were in the 20s, I think, 20 to 1. Okay. Or like 20, 25 to 1 in terms of winning the Super Bowl. And uh, what, what, are, what are the Browns? The Browns, as of now, in Vegas, I believe, are 14 to 1. You hear that, Cleveland? More importantly, did you hear that, Pittsburgh? Ahead of Pittsburgh. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I saw a couple other teams that are pretty much in the same odds as Pittsburgh. I think they might have yeah. even been ahead of teams like the Packers. or. I saw I saw on Twitter that the Browns have, right now, after the trade, the fifth best odds to win the Super Bowl. Um, I, I, said it, I said it on Twitter, and uh, I, I totally believe this. This isn't just me freaking out over a move. Uh, the Browns are America's team now. I think so. So long it's been the Cowboys, but mm-hmm. let's be honest. The Cow- what have the Cowboys done in the last like like seriously? Yeah, the Browns have been and I'm you know, the Browns have been the worst franchise in all of football the last 20 years. Mhm. Um but uh you know, things are looking up for the Browns. Things aren't things aren't looking down for the Cowboys. The Cowboys are, are a good football team. No. But but, but and more so for me, what the reason why I'm saying the Browns are America's team, is you are now... It already started with the way that the Browns played this year, but after this, after you know, people see how serious the Browns are, mm-hmm. there are going to be so many people that come out of the woodwork, and not, not even just... Um, and I'm not even talking about the inevitable front-running fan base we're going to get you right. know, when we start winning consistently. Mm-hmm. Just the dormant Browns fans who have been beaten down over the last two decades of this horrific dysfunctional franchise are going to be coming out of the woodwork and you're going to see more browns fans like people thought that the steelers traveled well on away games you're it's not going to be anything like what you've seen no and that this isn't just a homer take the browns have probably the biggest fan base in all of the nfl no the browns have the browns have fan clubs all over the world and here's what I have to say for anyone who's gone with the old adage of Cowboys being America's team. The Cowboys stopped being America's team at about the late 90s. Yeah. I you mean, know, it's I, – I just have to say that because I remember – Like I said, I'm not, I'm not here to dog the Cowboys because – Oh, no, it's, it's not that. I, it's, have, I have friends who like the Cowboys. It's just tying into with you saying the Browns being America's team. And, again, this isn't a homer take Jim for Rome, me either. And Jim Rome started that about the Browns being oh, America's team. I'm and, just piggybacking off of Jim Rome. Right. And no, and for me, it's the same thing. It's not a homer take. For the Cowboys, yes, they were America's team for, for the longest time. They really were. But that honestly died 
with you had the you know retirement or trade of guys like Emmett Smith, um, Troy Aikman, departure of Michael Irvin, things like that. I mean, the Cowboys were quarterbacked by people like Quincy Carter, and they had running backs like Felix Jones, and they had yeah uh, this no like Cowboys stopped being America's team a long time ago, and yeah. for the Browns, tying to what you said about a dormant fan base, are just you know people like honestly just being beaten down for so long. So this past year, the Browns had something that other teams had had before, like the Cowboys, hard knocks. Never been on hard knocks before. Yeah. Suddenly, the whole nation got to, granted, we live in a culture where there's sports news 24-7, but everyone else, got to, everyone else in the nation got to see that part of the Browns, along with the Browns fans. Right. So that in itself piqued interest. That just, regardless of who you're looking at, that piques interest. And the Browns are a very storied franchise, and no one roots against the underdog. The Browns have been underdogs ever since they came back, mm-hmm. and there's been those brief little peaks that they reach, but nothing consistent. No one roots against them. They have no reason to root against them. They're not right. a threat. Right. I mean, even even our biggest rival, Pittsburgh, like they almost take pity on us. Right. Well, not anymore. But. Not anymore. But so, so to say that the Browns now, being America's team, there was just so much intrigue after things like Hard Knocks, John Dorsey coming here, drafting Baker Mayfield, the whole Hugh Jackson fiasco, the resurgence the second half of the year, all the moves that are happening. Like Cleveland is a very exciting place just to begin with now. And now especially with sports and Browns, because that's the Browns are Cleveland's team. Yes, there's the Cavs and there's the Indians. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. This this is a football town. The Browns are yeah. Cleveland's team. And so now that this they're on the cusp of just literal greatness, yeah. I think they are America's team. They're going to get a bunch of primetime games this upcoming year. People are legitimately going to be interested, not just locally, nationally, what happens in Cleveland. And now that you have someone like Odell Beckham here, mm-hmm. it's going to get crazy. Yep. Can't wait. Is it September yet? <laughs> oh, shoot. What did – oh, dang it. Someone posted or I'll, something. I'll, if, I'll even take – I'll take late July when training camp starts. Someone posted something funny. I wish I could remember what it was, but just basically joking, like we're now this many hours closer to yeah. um, to football. <laughs> so. But uh, but yeah, uh, so just wanted to get on here, give you guys a little uh, reaction to uh, the big news today. Uh, appreciate you guys listening, and uh, uh, we will uh, get back to you in a couple days. Here, we'll have Jordan and Jimmy back, and uh, high school buddy of mine, Jordan Hoffman, will be joining us. For a little Columbus flair, uh, we'll talk a little bit more Browns as well. Um, but uh, thanks, Paul. Appreciate you jumping on with me. Absolutely. Uh, little la- last minute emergency episode talking about Browns. I know you're always up to talk Browns. So, well, now I am. <laughs> yeah, right. So appreciate that. Uh, thanks everybody listening. Sound SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, follow us at the L O T L podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And uh, Check us out on our website, www.lotlpodcast.com. We'll be posting a new article from Steve talking about March Madness, uh, previewing that coming up, and I'm sure he'll have an article in the works uh, regarding the Browns and uh, today's big moves. So, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us. So, uh, for Paul, I'm Dan. You've been listening to Emergency Episode OBJ to the Browns edition of Living Off the Land. And we will catch you guys later this week. Thanks. Bye.